Today's scripture is from the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, he could have them bound and brought to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and took him into Damascus. For three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. These are the words of God from long ago for all the people today. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? We came this morning hoping to hear something from you, to learn something, to, to be touched in some way by you. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be what you would have them to be on this morning. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, who is our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Did you know that you are here this morning because of a disciple named Ananias? Some of you know. Some of you are wondering who Ananias is. But if you've been doing your homework along the way, and you've been reading the book of Acts with us and getting your card punched. We're almost ice cream week, aren't we? Almost ice cream week. It's not too late. You can catch up. You can do homework like I did in college the night before. It's only 28 chapters. You can do it. And it might be interesting to do it all at once and get the arc of the story. But if you've read that, you know that Ananias is a disciple who shows up in the story right after what we just heard. Have you heard of the butterfly effect? Not the one in right field in Little League where a small person who is supposed to be paying attention is, is following a butterfly. It's glorious fun, and you can get hit on the head. I've seen it happen. A fly ball, a butterfly, and a third grader. It's a bad mix. Now, the butterfly effect is that, that idea. It was proposed in 1963, which was an excellent year, by the way. It was. Um, and so now you know. But 
1963, Edward Lawrence said, I, I had this idea that if a butterfly flaps its little frail wings, it creates a ripple in the air. And that ripple in the air moves some other molecules and creates another ripple in the air. And that ripple in the air creates another ripple in the air. And pretty soon, candles are going out. Didn't go out. And a big ripple is happening, and it's a breeze, and it's a wind. And by the time it gets around the globe, a hurricane could happen from a butterfly. It's preposterous preposterous and 30 years later scientists were able to do the work and prove it it's called the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions that's what you came to learn today right the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions we start small and it gets bigger becomes a hurricane 30 years after he proposed this they kind of figured out, yeah, that actually, this butterfly flapping over here has an effect over there. It may or may not be a hurricane, but it has an effect. And then sociologists, psychologists, kind of people have done some study, and what a person does has an effect on someone else. We're here today because of Ananias. A disciple named Ananias said yes to God, and now we're here. Now, there were some steps before and after that, right? We heard this story about Paul this morning, or Saul, however you want to call him. He kind of stays Saul through that story. A little later in Acts, they start calling him Paul. It's not really clear if he just has two names or if his name, I don't know, he's got different names. It doesn't matter. Saul of Tarsus is wandering around doing what he's been doing, persecuting Christians. He is doing what he believes is the right thing to do as a as a legal person in the Jewish faith, and those people are doing it wrong, and he's going to get them. And he's getting them. He's martyring people, which is the very nice way of saying he's killing people because of a religious difference in understanding. And he's doing it. He's walking on the road. He's on his way to Damascus to do some more of it, and he gets stopped, blinded by the light, hit by lightning. A bright light shines. We don't know exactly what it is the sun reflecting off of something else. We don't know what the light is, but it happens, and he hears God's voice just like we did. Did you notice God's voice when the scripture happened? Did it surprise you that Larry was in the balcony? It was Larry. What an effective way to help us understand this voice that says, hey, Saul, what are you doing? That's paraphrased. And Saul says, oh. He has this transformative experience, Right? And, and it's easy to think when we romanticize what we hear and what we read in these stories about the early church. Well, man, if, if, if God would just hit me with a bright light, boom, I'm set to go. I, I'd understand the right thing to do. Have you ever felt like, I might be called to do that, but I'm not sure? You ever felt like that? Besides every day? Yeah. I think I'm called to do a thing or to be a certain way but I'm not sure if I'm not making it up maybe I'm maybe I'm just wishing and it's not is it God or not it's not always explicitly clear and if we could just get hit by lightning oh then I'd know but you see in this story if we continued reading in verse 10 and keep on going after verse 9 where we stopped the next thing that happens 
the very next thing that happens is God knocks on Ananias' door and says, I would like you to go, get up and go. Now we heard get up and go last week too. Imagine that. Get up and go. I want you to go talk to a man from Tarsus named Saul. Ananias responds to this request. He says, no, thank you. You got the wrong, wrong phone number. You got the wrong email address. You have called the wrong person. I, this is no one's home. I don't want to go talk to Saul. Do you know who Saul is? Ananias argues with God. And it tells us something about God, that God listens to the argument. God doesn't interrupt him. God lets him have his say. Ananias says, I, I, Saul, that's the guy who's been martyring. He's been persecuting. He's, he's, Saul is not a nice person. I don't want to go talk to him. I wonder if Ananias might have experienced that feeling in his gut. I'm not going to see him. You know that feeling where everything clenches up and you're like, <gasps> fear. Well, it would be right for him to feel that way. This is, Saul has not been a nice, I'm not, no. And God says, yes. It doesn't say it like this in Scripture, but I imagine it this way. Believe it or not, <laughs> this is the instrument. Saul is the instrument I am choosing to continue to build my church. That's what God says to Ananias in this story. Go see him. And he does. And because Ananias does, we're sitting here today. Butterfly effect. He does his thing. And he goes and he sees Saul and the scales fall from his eyes. And they have a conversation and Saul begins to understand something new about who Jesus is. He's had this first person experience, but he needs some background. Uh, Ananias and the other disciples or apostles help him with that. He becomes the apostle Paul. We read his letters. We wrestle with his letters. We try to figure out what he's trying to say. And we're, now we're at church. He had all those missionary journeys. And sometimes we say, well, the church happened because of the apostles and, and Peter and the gang doing their things. And then Paul came and did all the missionary journeys and established all those churches and all those places that are hard to say. And, and, and it happened, and now we're here, right? Because of Paul. Because of Ananias. And Paul had background knowledge from his job he was doing before that helped him be who he was. So because of Ananias, because of Paul, because of Paul's teachers, because he had learned the law and the prophets and all that, and he used that in his work. He didn't, he didn't stop being who he was, and yet he was different. And Ananias allowed him to be different. A couple of weeks ago, I was on vacation in southwest Michigan, and I was thinking along the lines of the question Katie asked us, who in your life has made a difference for you? Who in your life has taught you something, helped you to become who you are, helped you change in some way? And I got to thinking about Jim Linky. Jim Linky was my scoutmaster when I was 11. And Mr. Linky, which is still how I think of him, took us places and tried to teach us things and put up with our shenanigans and did all things that scoutmasters do. At age 11, I was living in, a, in what you might call a troubled home. 
Now, I won't bore you with all the stories of that troubled home, except that it affects an 11-year-old to live in chaos, as you can imagine. And it's not a positive effect. And so I was a pain in the neck or any other place, elbow, whatever you want to pick. I know I was. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that then. I was just, because I was going through it at home. And that's what kids do, right? You've seen it, you know. So we went to summer camp. Summer camp for that little Boy Scout troop from St. Joseph, Michigan, was in the, up, the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. We went to somebody's piece of property. It wasn't an organized camp. There was no camp staff. There was no camp program except for what our adult volunteers put together. We went and lived on this piece of property for a week. There was a toilet seat with legs. Don't think about it too much. It was just rustic. We didn't have any air conditioning. We didn't have any, anything. We just did our thing. Right? Somewhere there was a source of clean water, and that was pretty much it. So one evening, I was washing dishes. This is the second or third night. Since I was a brand new scout, I had a chance to see how it all works first. And then it was my turn. So I'm washing dishes. And I'm afraid of getting it wrong. Because at home, if I got it wrong, it didn't turn out very well. So I'm being very careful to get it right. Which meant that I was very slow. And Mr. Linky wandered over to where I was washing. Everybody else is around the campfire now. They're going to start telling ghost stories, whatever we're going to do. And I'm over here still washing the dishes. Now, you might think, and I still think it sometimes, where was my partner who should have been helping me? But there I was, I'm washing the dishes, and it's taken you know, something like forever. And Mr. Linky could have come over and said, dude, hurry up. Except in 1974, people didn't say dude yet. At least not where I lived. Hey, buddy. Whatever. So he stood and watched for a minute, and I thought, man, I'm about to get it. Because that's all I knew. He said, I've been watching you wash the dishes. You're methodical. You're methodical. That's what he told me. Now, I learned two things from Mr. Linky that day. One of them is what methodical means. And the other was that it was okay to be learning and figuring it out. And something changed. This story is not about me, okay? This story is about the fact that we're sitting here because of a disciple named Ananias who allowed Paul to change. Mr. Linky allowed me to change. It would have been easy for Mr. Linky to say that. Pain in the neck, Boy Scout, is taking forever even washing the dishes. He can't even do that. He's such a, it'd be easier if he wasn't, it probably would have been easier if I wasn't there. But that's not why Mr. Linky was there. Because see, somebody taught Mr. Linky. He didn't learn this by himself. He had a scoutmaster or a dad or a grandfather or a grandmother or an aunt or somebody who taught him about being patient with somebody. And so he was patient with me. And I learned a new vocabulary word. And help me learn something. Butterfly effect. He allowed me to change instead of just kicking me out for being a pain in the neck. Ananias allowed Paul to change. Because he could have not gone. And he would have been justified not to go. But he went. Yesterday in this space. We held a memorial service for Tay Green. Tay was 18. 
and he was shot and killed at a pool party last week on Friday night. You've seen it in the news, perhaps. Maybe you didn't notice in the news because there's a string. It happened Friday, and then on Saturday, another one happened on Sunday, another one, and Tuesday, and so on. It happens too often, and we get numb to it. Compassion fatigue is a real phenomenon. We get to where we can't. There's no shame in it. It's hard to pay attention to it every day. I noticed when Tay was shot because it was a Westerville South student. And as pastors were called to Westerville, not to Church of the Messiah. So now I'm paying a little more attention. And then we got a phone call Monday, and can we do the service here? And, and, so, and so we did. We don't know this family. They're total strangers. And we remember Tay well, and we celebrated his life, and it was a, it was a smooth and safe gathering. There were some concerns. Some of the other kids spoke. Some of the kids, some of them were kids who were at that gathering who saw this happen. Some of their kids who just knew Tay at school or at lunch or this, that, or the other, and had, Tay had had a positive effect on them, and they talked about, this is who I want to be because I knew Tay. Butterfly effect. There are two young people, 15 and 16 years old, who are currently incarcerated because they committed this act, or they're accused of committing it. I don't know if they did it. I, it's, there's lots of stories. Who knows? We don't need to unravel that. There's a butterfly effect in their lives if they got to where they could do that. We can imagine all those stories. What happens when they come and say, I've changed? Will we let them? What happens when the person who's been a pain in our neck in some way comes and says, I've turned over a new leaf. I want to be somebody different. I've seen the light. Maybe literally, probably figuratively, but I've, I've, I, oh, I'm sorry for, and I want to be. Will, would we be like Ananias when that opportunity comes? It's not easy. I hear how quiet you got. And I can see your faces thinking, well, but wait a minute. Huh. Yeah, but wait a minute. I get it. You're right. And the strange call of the gospel is that we would say, all right, we'll go. We'll talk to Saul. We'll do the thing. We'll let that weird Boy Scout try to keep working on it, and we'll stick with it. We'll, we'll, we'll greet the person that walks in. It's the unlikeliest person that ever happened, and say, well, we'll give you a chance. Now, Scripture says to be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. So we have to do both. All right, I acknowledge that. The innocent at doves part is offering grace. It's offering space. It's offering welcome. It's being a place where people can gather and belong. The wisest serpent's part? <laughs> Take a buddy when you go. Do it a little at a time. Pay attention. Yeah, we don't want to be completely foolish. But I think we're called to be partly foolish and to say we'll offer grace. We're transformed for someone else's benefit. 
we're transformed. We experience seeing the light in some kind of way. And we benefit without a doubt. We're transformed for someone else's benefit. Just like Ananias' heart was changed for Saul's benefit. Saul was changed ultimately for our benefit, right? Saul did all that work and now here we are and we're a church. The butterfly effect is something God is doing in our midst. We are transformed only so that we can be transformative in someone else's life and keep passing it on because we're not alone. We're doing this together. We celebrate that every week that we're doing this together. Sometimes it's just glorious, easy, wonderful fun and we're eating donuts. And sometimes it's this really hard work where we offer grace and where we say we're not alone and we're going to be not alone on purpose. We're going to go ahead and flap our little wings and see what happens to remember that we're not alone. I invite you to stand as you're able and to join me in this affirmation of faith. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.